When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the latest Love Tennis Podcast. I'm George Belshaw from Metro UK. And I'm pretty much struggling this week. My fantasy tennis has been a complete and utter disaster. I'm not only losing in the league, but I've lost a load of side bets, which is proving really quite problematic, actually. Here's James, here's Calvin, two of the people who are beating me. I was, I was just lamenting... The long list, we're not going to list them all. The long we? list, yeah. Well, I was, I was just going to say, I mean, not only is my professional pride being absolutely hammered here, but my bank balance is being killed. I've, I've got all these side bets on with different people. So I've, I've been out shopping for a load of beers to pay them off today. It's been an absolute yeah, disaster. Yeah, you've got, you've got yourself in some trouble there, I have to say. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have had your confidence. I didn't have your confidence, and yet I have snuck into the top hundred. Uh, yeah, this I... is of course the Love Tennis um, Fantasy Tennis League. Uh, if you're not following us on Twitter, then do it's at Love Tennis Pod, uh, and you'll get the regular league table updates. Currently, the long-time leader, I think, possibly since round two, uh, if not even round one. Now he was he was a joint leader after round one, and he's basically never given it up. Truncated slot, which is just a great Twitter handle, I'd say. 35 and a half points. I'll tell you what, he was going really, really well. I think he had seven players left going into round four. Uh, and then he lost Muguruza, uh, Matteo Berrettini as well. So, uh, yeah, they powered him. And he had Kaya Yuvan, which is, you know, he, he just feels a bit cheap because he's picked against Joe Conta <laughs> and not deserved those points. Uh, he obviously has the Lion, um, Aslan Karatsev. Uh, Novak Djokovic, Ash Barty, and Shelby Rogers. One of the few people to pick Shelby Rogers obviously uh, had a decent run as well. So, um, well done to him. I'm not handing him the trophy yet, but he is four and a half points clear. My my mate uh, Andy Philpot's second, a guy I went to school with, and I, I'm actually backing him to win now because Rogers and Barty are playing each other, aren't they? Mm. So I think I think and and you get. Am I right in thinking you get an extra point? on top per round for this. So that four no, and a Barty, half isn't point... Barty, isn't, uh, isn't Barty playing Makova? She's just beaten Shelby Rogers. Oh, yes. Yeah, sorry. That's that's what I was trying to say. Excuse me. So she's the one who was going to get her more, him more points has dropped off, whereas my friend's got Serena Williams kicking around as well. And mm. I don't know. I, I, I'm just... I prefer his lot. I think he's... Do you want to know some exciting news, George? Go for it. Just realised I hadn't recalibrated the table. Oh, so have I there could be, dropped there could even be further moves, down? There could be moves. I mean, I don't know how far you've gone down. I don't look at that bit of the table. It's a long way. <laughs> you're, not, you're, not even the, you're not even the best performing Belshaw. Uh, oh, your sister, mate. Your sister the, has battered you. Yeah, my dad's in there as well. He's battering me as well. Oh, but, wow, okay. I, I was going to um, say, though, my, uh, you're, you're not safe, though, James. I, I wouldn't get too comfortable. Me and Calvin are both pretty close to you. I, where, actually, where am I? Well, let's, let's, 
So I'll just I'll just run you down the 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 pod talent scores. I'm um, in 82nd place with 17 points and three players left. Those three players are Djokovic, Rublev, and Barty. Uh, you know, let's not rule out Rublev winning tonight. But anyway, uh, Calvin is uh, in a hundred a hundredth place, one point behind with Djokovic, Osaka, and Tsitsipas. I mean, I That's think Barty. See, I think Barty is an absolute shoo-in for the final. I think I think there's, like, if she doesn't make the final, it's an absolutely huge failure on her part. Um, and Novak Djokovic is a wash because we all have him. And then it's just Rublev versus Tsitsipas. But you're quite keen on him beating Nadal, George, I believe. I, I am quite keen on him beating Nadal, which will age terribly. Yeah, A lot of my predictions well, aren't excited. going well, so... I'm excited <laughs> George, about George seems to have forgotten about Tsitsipas' um, backhand. Momentarily, <laughs> and, and and what Nadal usually does to one-handed backhands. I mean, oh, how many one-handed how, how many one-handed backhands has Nadal lost to in slams? Is it just is it just Federer, Wawrinka, and Steve Darcy? <laughs> I mean, that is not a stat I have to hand, and not one that Tennis Abstract I, is going to pull I, I up. Genuinely, th- I think it is. I, I, yeah, I, 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 I think that is right. I yeah. don't. It was till about eighteen months ago, and I don't think he's lost to anyone in the last since then. Well, he can't have, right. can he? Unless he's lost to Dan Evans or... Um, <laughs> well, yeah, not in the last Dimitrov. I will certainly fact-check it for you, but that, that could be could be true. Um, just talking about one-handed backhands, or not, actually, can we talk about um, Suwe Hase, the uh, Taiwanese player? Shay Suwe. She, yeah, sorry, I knew that I wouldn't be able to pronounce that properly. Um, <laughs> but she... <coughs> She may be out by the time you listen to this podcast, but nevertheless, even if she loses love and love uh, in the quarterfinals, she is a remarkable story. She's the world doubles number two, I think, but has been world number one uh, behind Barbara Strakova. She's 35 years old, or, or is she 34? I might be doing her disservice here. Either way, she's the... I thought she was 36. I might be wrong. Maybe wow. 35 then. Well, look, I'll tell you what, no matter how old she is, She's the oldest woman. She's the oldest woman to reach the Grand Slam quarterfinal for a first time. No one has ever reached their first Grand Slam quarterfinal um, at an older age. Uh, and she's a remarkable player. She hits two-handed forehands and two-handed backhands. She hits drop shots, really weird drop shots, like as you can imagine with a two-hander. Um, she hits moon balls. She hits all sorts, George. Yeah, I was going to say that there's been a few. Quite in, nice lines about her this week from a kind of media perspective. I mean, she's a really interesting player anyway, but Naomi Osaka, who's had a couple of really big tussles with her. I don't know if you remember when she won her first Australian Open, the player who came closest to beat her was Shea. I think mm. she was something like five two up in the third set or something, and she called back, or, or maybe actually, I think she was four one up in the second, having won the first set and whatever. Yeah. Um, but she, she said, she views Shay as like being on a video game, and if she was going to play the video game, she would pick that character because she hits everything just so weirdly. I yeah. thought that was quite a nice quirky description. And then the other really interesting one, which I think Calvin will find interesting if he's not seen it, was that um, it was from her coach who was saying that she he was practicing with her in Eastbourne, I believe it was. And she'd been hitting shots. And apparently she always is like painting the lines really close. And then suddenly she started missing really weirdly. And he kind of stopped the practice after a few minutes. Like what what's going on? What's happened to you? 
and she hadn't realized she'd broken a string because she hadn't changed her strings for three years she never <laughs> changes her strings and I, like, when you're seeing players change like for every seven balls or whatever you know the seven game ball changes or whatever um I thought that was remarkable that a pro's been running around on the tour for three years, but apparently she just hates it feeling different. She's got such a good feel that she just uses the same racket, same strings. I, I thought you'd enjoy that one, Calvin, if you hadn't seen it. I'd, I'd seen it last night, yeah. <laughs> I, I, being the sceptic that I am, I, I, would have, I, would have, I was a bit sceptic about, about it. I, mean, I can imagine that she doesn't break many strings. That, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, and... Like now, most players play with polyester, although she may not. She may play with a mixture, uh, and it doesn't make it doesn't make as much difference as, as say, ten, fifteen years ago when you broke a string when you had synthetic gutting, where you just wouldn't be able to play with it. You can maybe hit six or seven balls that are not so far out with a fully strung polyester that's broke. But I'm just not I'm not buying that um, that that she broke a string and didn't know it's like, and, and was carrying on for, for so long. I mean, I think he's embellished that one a little bit there. Are, are, you, are you buying that he didn't, that she wasn't changing them for three years though? I mean, that's the bit I found even more remarkable. Really. Yeah. It'd like, be, it'd be strange. It'd be, uh, and three years is a long time. I was going to say, I, I mean, I, like, I, even at our level, I'd say I snap it every four months and I don't play anywhere yeah. near as these guys. Yeah. I think it may be that again, I think he may have somewhat embellished. I can look, I can imagine that, she might not have known that she'd broke a string for a couple of shots. I've seen that sort of thing happen. And I can imagine that she might not have had a racket restrung in six months, say. I, I think the numbers sort of made me a little bit suspicious that, um, <laughs> that, that, that he was somewhat embellishing there. But I don't know. I wasn't around. Maybe Because so. he also said she had no endorsements or anything. Um, and I'm not sure, but I, I, I thought she did on a racket. I thought she had an endorsement on the right. It'd be very strange for a Chinese player to not have an endorsement at all. She's 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 not Chinese. She's Chi- she's Taiwanese. Taiwanese, um, sorry. And it's it's an interesting story actually because she she was offered a massive uh, money deal by because um, she didn't. I know that she didn't previously have any um, endorsement deals, and she was offered massive money by the Chinese right. Federation if she became Chinese. Okay. Um, and she said, no. and uh, well, she said she would consider it. And then the Taiwanese government basically leveraged a load of deals in Taiwan to keep her um, as as Taiwanese. But she certainly doesn't seem to have any. She doesn't have anything on her on her clothing or anything. Certainly, right? Um, okay. I don't know about racket, but yeah, you know, she she is. Let's face it, she's world number seventy one singles. She's one of those players who presumably plays single draws because she's there anyway. And yeah. if you can get in, you might as well have a hit. Um, and she's just gone on a run. You know, she beat Andrescu, she beat Bodrisova, she beat Sarah Rani, uh, Tuvitana Pirankova, I think, off the top of my head as well. So, you know, she's also... I, one thing I really admire about her, if you watch her, she looks like she's walking around the court. Like, she, she's sort of weirdly flat-footed, but she gets to everything. She, she looks like she's not even running around. It's really... If you watch her tonight, she's playing Naomi Osaka... Um, at what one thirty a.m. tonight, I think, and so you won't watch it live probably if you're in the UK. Did Go on, George. Was it you? Uh, I can't remember if you came and watched this with me, but there was a brilliant match with her against Sibulkova at Wimbledon. Um, I think I watched a set of it because yeah, like we went over to watch it on court eighteen or something. And yeah, the, yeah. I think she actually lost that in the end, but I mean, she is 
definitely a good player to watch. And I, I was just going to say, actually, on the sponsorship stuff, it surprises me she doesn't get one even with her ranking. Um, largely because she gets a lot of press for this reason. I mean, not like, you know, I'm not saying she's front page news and stuff, but every tournament she's someone's commenting on social media and stuff about her. She's such an interesting player that I'm a little bit yeah, surprised. No, but also, like, you know, you don't, they might not pay her a fortune, but, like, racket deals. I have a racket deal. I'm going to assume that <laughs> I'm maybe I'm maybe not going to sell as many rackets as... She, she, yeah, I was just saying, she's surely shed. got a racket deal. Yeah, surely. even if I it's mean, just, like, we'll give you some rackets. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm sure she's got that. <laughs> but he said she didn't have anything. He said, like, she didn't have any um, endorsements or anything, which, you know, but anyway. Remarkable. Um, well, I'm all in favour of players getting to quarterfinals who have no, you know, endorsement deals. I mean, let's face it, Dan Evans got to a final of an ATP, like, you know, what, two years ago, where he didn't bring enough shirts to Australia with him because he didn't have a clothing deal. So, you know. Um, Calvin Cockinarchus as well. Hand. Sorry, George? I was just saying Cockinarchus as well. He's oh, yeah. been running around without one this tournament. Well, that's, like, yeah, that's actually... That that's actually because Nike are not renewing any contracts at the minute. So he was on Nike, and in any sport, they're not renewing anything. So you'll have noticed that Felix has actually moved away from Nike to Adidas. Yes, he did. Recently. Mm. So any of those Nike deals, anyone who was wearing Nike and their contracts were up at the end of last year, as they would be, they probably won't have new contracts for that reason. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting one to lose, Felix, isn't it? I mean, I remember seeing yeah, that. Big, I, yeah. I don't... But I wasn't sure a, that was across the board. That that's, yeah, that's it's a blanket. Um, I know that through my contacts. Um, <laughs> sounding like a bit of a crap there. Um, they're not. Then literally, Calvin's they're not. Really, literally flexing. Yeah, they're not renewing anything. <laughs> just to take you, just to take you down a peg. Uh, you did forget uh, one Grand Slam beater of Rafa Nadal with a one-handed backhand uh, in the quarterfinals of the 2006 US Open. He lost to Mikhail Yushny. Um, did he? Wow. Okay. Yeah. One of the memorable, uh, a memorable one. I mean, was it? I, I, I it was didn't know fi- that it happened. 50, it was fifteen years ago, so I can't say I remember it. Uh, but there you go. Um, let's move on uh, because we've got a lot to get through. I know, and one of our favourite topics, certainly Calvin's, is is Nick Kyrgios, um, a man who's made plenty of headlines before the Australian Open, during the Australian Open. Um, he had a terrific run, uh, a couple of absolutely brilliant matches. He described his win over. Hugo Umber as the strangest match he'd ever played, um, which I have to say, in Nick Kyrgios' case, is quite a high bar because I've seen him play some extremely strange matches. Uh, but it certainly was a thriller. Um, Umber, I think, led twice. Uh, I think he might have saved, uh, Kyrgios might have saved a match point in that. Two match points, I'm told. Uh, and then won it uh, in the fifth, sixth, four. Uh, it certainly was a terrific match. And then he went five again with Dominic Team and couldn't quite get over the line. Um I don't know who to start with here. I mean, maybe me, uh, although George and I share an opinion. George, I know you think he's good for tennis. And the way he played for, I mean, with fans in, you have to remember that when he beat, uh, when he lost to Dominic Team, it was the last match pretty much with fans in the Melbourne arena before uh, the lockdown was reinstated. I mean, that first what I can, um, hour, hour and 10 minutes in a full stadium or as full as they were allowed, with Kyrgios just playing lights out, low percentage tennis. I mean, that was that was a good thing with a capital A and a capital G. Yeah, I mean, he's super. I mean, look, I, I don't agree with everything Kyrgios says and everything he's about. But in terms of his tennis and watching him, 
there's there's nothing there's no player I enjoy more and I think that's not just from a playing perspective that's from a you never know when this guy's going to flip out that he plays with so much personality like if you think about Federer as a player and what he's praised for on the court you know that people there's all these stories oh Federer as an 18 year old was smashing his racket all the time and hated all this stuff and he was such an angry boy and because he got banned from playing tennis for six months, he learned to keep it so cool and calm on the court. And you're, <laughs> you're, some people, are, when you're coached, are like, oh, don't show anything. Don't let anything out. Don't let your opponent know anything. And while, while that's probably good for being competitive, for the viewer, I, I think it really diminishes the experience. Whereas <laughs> Kyrgios, you know, it, it's entertainment. And I think this is what I always drum on about with Kyrgios is that, at the end of the day, sport is in a market beyond just being elite sport. It's in an entertainment market with everything else, and that's only expanding in the uh, super-connected world. And people like Kyrgios, they put bums on tickets, they get people talking. You know, I, good example this week, our snooker correspondent, Phil Hay, hates tennis. I see him tweeting, this is the first time I've ever enjoyed a tennis match that is curious you know that that's the sort of thing he brings and when i everyone you speak to will know anyone who doesn't like tennis and that's the thing to stress here which is why it's so interesting anyone who loves tennis already probably doesn't like curious as much because you know they appreciate the finer art form within tennis but for people who don't like tennis he is always their favorite player and it, it's without an exception apart from federer who people just say because they think he's a saint uh, yeah, I, I see where you're coming from, George. And Calvin, I know that you will disagree with George in some ways, but I'm going to put something to you. Because I know you're kind of dreading the, the prospect of another Djokovic versus Nadal Australian Open final. <laughs> and that you're the only person on the planet who didn't enjoy the 2012-5 setter. <laughs> now, in the context of that, surely you want people like Nikiris. Now, I kind of sympathise with you when we talk about him the week before a tournament and you go... Yeah, but he's not made a second week since 2014, and that's valid. But when he does turn it on, he's a great guy to have in the first week of a slam, isn't he? Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I, even I got up to watch both his matches. I didn't say I got up. That makes me sound terrible, though. They were on at about 10 in the morning. <laughs> 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 um, I, I tuned in to watch his matches. Uh, that also the, the, sound real, tuning in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but... Yeah, he's definitely he's entertainment value, and he's a fantastic player when when it when it's going right. There's no question about it. I think the question, the the, the sort of area that I'm interested in is, does he have it in him to go to the latter stage of these tournaments and really make it worthwhile? Because at the minute we're getting one two matches from him every slam, and, and then it goes to pieces. And I think the first question before you go into it, what you've got to ask is, does he actually care about? getting to the second stages of the slam does he want to go deep into them and if he does how much does he want to do that um i did see a little bit in the team match well obviously he came from behind to beat um umber although i think umber bottled it um to be fair in the team match there were little bits and sort of a key part for me was when he served to make it four five he served at three five in the fifth held serve and he looked really focused he had a fish fist clench and you for the first time you could see he's, he doesn't think he's done here yet he he thinks there's still some left in this in the end he didn't team well he, he actually was in it then team unloaded two monster backhands to win it 
Um, but it wasn't somebody who looked like he totally didn't care. There's certain things that need to change for him to go that extra stage. He needs to get rid of some of the bums in his box, for starters. And I think he probably needs a coach of some description. But again, that's only if he cares enough to want to go to the latter stages. And we don't know whether he does. I was just going to say a couple, a couple of things to those points. I mean, the, the don't care bit is really interesting because that's been his massive shield for a long time. And what, I asked him a question this week. And I said to him, oh, I know you say you don't really care. And he actually came back this time. He said, oh, of course I care. I do care. I've trained for this my whole life in some ways. And that took me aback quite a lot. And I think that does speak to some of his maturity that has happened a little bit more. I mean, you know, I'll probably be taking this all back when he starts tanking a match next time he steps out or something on a random ATP. But there, there did seem... a and James, I think, can attest to this as well, in the press conferences, they were actually a joy to watch. I mean, it was like a really, it felt very honest, very pure, not so gimmicky. Okay, there was a bit of gimmicky with the Djokovic stuff where he just wants to kind of create headlines a little bit. But the rest of it was actually really compelling uh, watching. I think for that would be something, again, that can kind of sell tennis on that point. Um, but yeah, I mean, the other match where I would say he showed he did care, and this is something that, does worry me slightly is that the the times he does care most is in Australia and there's no question like um he lost to Grigor Dimitrov I want to say 2018 might have been um and he played a really really good four or five set match and he threw everything at it and he was focused and it was close it was brilliant it was tired this was Dimitrov kind of in his pomp and he lost and you could tell he was gutted and everyone there was like wow, is this the moment Kyrgios realises I can win and you know, or lose or losing hurts and he was going to be vulnerable and then he puts that shield back up and says, actually, it hurts too much to put myself in there and lose. So it'll be interesting to see where he goes kind of on that path, I think. I think it is a really interesting point in his career just, just because of, you know, I had a real sort of um, Damascene conversion with him really because I, I did kind of see a, a huge change in character in maturity afterwards you know yes the Djokovic thing still kind of you know unpops his inner child and you know people say he's a bully and it's uh, emotional abuse um it's not bullying it's not emotional abuse um but you know he likes winding people up about Djokovic and and he knows he can get a rise out of him quite frankly no he does now anyway um and I, I think that exists, but for the most part, and you know, if you're in those press conferences and if you read large amounts of the quotes, most of what he says is is pretty grounded. And I do think that the last twelve months has been really good for Nick Kyrgios. You know, he's gone and spent time with his girlfriend. Every time he wrote on the camera, he was writing a little message. To, is it Kiara? Is that her name? Um, and I thought, you know, I know it's just that anyone would do it, but it just was a, a part of a wider picture. He's been out, he's got his Nick NK Foundation, which I know he's been running for quite a long time, but he's obviously had a bit more time to do stuff with it. Um, he's been delivering food up in Canberra. You know, he just seems to have grown up a bit, which, and I don't think, I don't think he's going to go out and play 17, 18 tournaments a year. I think he's going to go out and play probably nine or ten max. And he'll be good value at those. And he will probably have an attitude where he doesn't 
live or die by whether he gets to the quarterfinals or the semifinals. But for the first week of the slam, he'll be really good value. And I, I think you know, he, he will knock out some seeds. He will hurt some players who will probably think that they should beat him. I mean, the match we all want to see is Nick Kyrgios versus Novak Djokovic a bit. Um, I went and watched his two wins over Djokovic uh, in Acapulco and Cincinnati. No, Indian Wells. Indian Acapulco Wells. and Indian Wells in the space of like a couple of weeks, you know, in court conditions that are largely the same, in weather conditions that are largely the same, and in matches that were frankly largely the same. And he was really mature in those. He had the odd hissy fit and... I'll tell you what, Djokovic smashed more rackets in those matches than Kyrgios did, quite spectacularly on one occasion. And, you know, that was that we all thought this was a moment, and it wasn't. But I do think that now, I mean, who knows? Who knows what would happen if they played now? But I don't think there is a person on the planet who doesn't want to see that match. I guarantee, I mean, even Calvin, if I gave you the option tomorrow between a Djokovic-Nadal final or a Djokovic-Kyrgios final... You you would have a heart of stone to say Djokovic Nadal. Of, of course, yeah, and I'd want Djok- I'd want Kyrgios to win it as well because I don't like Djokovic. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but, um, but I mean, I guess in terms of like when we're saying does he care, it's not black or white. There's shades of grey in it as well, yeah. and I think there's. I'm I'm certain that he'd love to win a Grand Slam. I, I'm not sure it destroys him when he doesn't win a Grand Slam. And I think it's that obsession that is maybe lacking with doing it because he's got the brilliance and the brilliance wins you matches, but obsessions win you slams. And I mm. think that that's the, that's the main difference. And, and I take on board what you're saying about him being more mature and that kind of thing. And, but the, t- there are certain elements that point to the opposite as well. I, I, I know some of the people in his box and they're not people who should be in his box. And he sort of entertains it, and yeah, you know, I, I don't know if they're sort of bad people or anything, but I've I know who they are and, and kind of what they're like, and they're just bums. And it's like no, no, he's got to get rid of those people from the box and that kind of thing. And he he thinks it's all a laugh, and I think I I don't know, I don't think he'll ever, he's never going to win sort of six or seven slams. He's one of those people. It wouldn't surprise me if. Even it might not even be in the next three or four years. It might be when he's twenty nine or something, where he, he's, he's a little bit more mature and he hits a bit of good form and he wins one or two. Maybe a sort of maybe a sort of Stan Wawrinka type career path where there's no indication coming into them that he's going to win them either. It might be a case like that, but I do think even before that happens, some things have got to change. I, th- I think. The first bit I'd say about the people in his box, I mean, I, I've been told on fairly decent authority before that he flies people around with him all the time, like basically pays for his mates does, to come yeah. around with him, yeah. like on on tour. So, I mean, you know, that, that's quite another interesting angle to him. I know a few players will fly people out to certain tournaments, but I'm pretty sure he takes a big group with him everywhere. Well, well he had, George, just on that, he had a couple of years ago when he was in London preparing for Wimbledon, he had a guy with him all the time who all the time wore an NBA Lakers outfit, full outfit, and <laughs> declared himself to be his manager stroke consultant at the time. So that that's kind of what we're dealing with. And yeah, you can take what you want from that. He definitely was not a manager or consultant. Yeah. <laughs> he I mean, wasn't there last this... week. The same guy Sorry. wasn't there last week, to be fair. The the other thing I was just going to say about him, I mean, like, I, do, I do think 
it's really easy with him to forget that he's like only 25 and I put only kind of in inverted commas but like I, I, and it's always quite a lazy comparison to football but if you think about how like footballers are treated in the media or whatever you know they might do one post-match interview every I don't know maybe once a season some of them particularly the young yeah. guys like less than that you know Kyrgios has been doing full and I when I say full I mean full like his press conferences are full every time Djokovic press yeah. conferences are not full every time federal conferences are full every time you know there's levels to who is full every single time. And Nick Kyrgios's are always full because you never know what's going to happen. And that's part of what makes him engaging. But, you know, some of his comments about, like, him reading stuff about him or, you know, he was saying he's matured in that he's stopped reading stuff. But even so, when he goes on Instagram, because he's so big, and it's so weird to call him big all the time because, I mean, you know, he's not like a slam champion or whatever. But, you know, he's got this aura and this interest because he is him and that's what is so craved but you know he sees things on instagram where people have mocked up quotes and like put them on instagram banners or whatever and he he can't escape the intention i I do i'd I'd love to see to compare because i you know federer nadal and Djokovic came up in a quite a different era but i'd say kyrgios is probably the first superstar and i mean superstar not in terms of performance but in terms of level of interest who has come up with the full-time social media circus that comes with it. I, I don't know if that's a kind of fair point, but do you know? does that make sense that he's kind of been forced to see a lot of himself, a lot of replays all, all the time compared to those older guys who maybe uh, did have it, but at a slightly later stage in their career? I mean, he can, he can not go. He can just not go on Instagram. No, of course, uh, but, I, uh, but I, I'm just saying it's so culturally entrenched. Yeah. Isn't it? I mean, like I mean, Fran Jones saying say, she doesn't like it was rare compared yeah. to most people. But, but what, it's what also like... Say, sorry, James. Well, it's also just briefly, it's a massive part of his business. Like, yeah. if he wants to make, you know, you, you can't not go on Instagram because you don't want to. Like, he makes billions of dollars on Instagram. Yeah, yeah, that's true. What I will say about when I say I'm not sure whether he's bothered or not, he has, and I think this sort of gets lost a lot of the time with him, he has every right to not be bothered. If he doesn't yeah. want, no, nobody can. He doesn't have. He doesn't have to pay any dues to tennis. If he doesn't want to play, and he doesn't want to, doesn't want to sort of play eighteen tournaments a year, and he doesn't want to be obsessed with it enough to win slams, that's entirely his right to do that, and nobody can tell him otherwise. It's true. I mean, yeah, presumably he doesn't. He does. Yeah, that, that's the bottom line, isn't it? I mean, that you know, we we want players to care. We're desperate for him to care. It's why we get yeah. wound up when he doesn't, because we can all see how good he is, but. In the end, you're right. And, I, he doesn't and, get any funding yeah. from anyone. And similar to that, when we have this thing that comes around, it infuriates me with sport as well when they say that people are role models. He's a role model. He never signed up for that. He never asked to it. He's, 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 he was born with a ridiculously loose and fast right arm. And that's why <laughs> people see him as a role model. But, you know, he might not behave himself all the time, but he never agreed to. So yeah. I don't buy into the idea, and it's the same with any sport, that their role models, they should behave differently. Like, should, should based on what? What will happen to them if they don't? It's up to them. I, I guess it's if you're... Well, go on, George. I think I was just saying, that, that, that's su- such an interesting point because, uh, you know, the obvious comparison with Kyrgios is McEnroe in terms of character. Yeah. And people yeah. almost seem to accept McEnroe because he was winning everything. Do you know what I mean? It was not that kind of yeah. double thing. He's a role model in the sense of 
okay, yeah, he can be a complete brat on the court, but he goes on and wins everything, and that's kind of exemplary, if that makes sense. Um, it's interesting. I mean, like, I, you're, you're totally right. He doesn't doesn't owe anything to any of us, but it for tennis fans, I think that the frustration just stems from, you know, if this guy was winning the tournaments, everyone would watch tennis all the time. No one would ever miss a Wimbledon final if Kyrgios was mm. involved. You just wouldn't. It, it'd just be box office. Mm. On the role model thing, I mean, now just take the last, just take the last two weeks. What has Kyrgios done in the last two weeks that we think is not befitting of a role model? Maybe the winding Djokovic stuff up. But again, I mean, again, for me, I, I much prefer that. I much prefer the honesty. <laughs> like it's, it's the kind of the fake niceness does my head in and i've ranted about this many times before but you yeah. know the idea that nadal and federer are best mates i mean get a grip no they're I, not I, like, I, I i also don't i'm not bothered about it. i mean like that's not even not being a role model like what's that going to lead to a 12 year old giving a press conference where he slates <laughs> <laughs> John Djokovic is. It's, i mean i guess there's stuff like the breaking rackets but again as a person speaking from experience Kids like watching tennis when he's involved in it, and that's as much yeah. a role model as he needs to be. Because I tell you what, if you're, it doesn't happen anymore because it's not on. It's actually not on terrestrial television in Britain. It is actually this tournament. But if we say you know you're flicking channels and Kyrgios is on, they're going to watch the tennis. And anybody who's anytime someone's watching tennis, that's good role models. Yeah, I, I mean, with all my children watching, I mean, I, I'm a giant child. I. I watch him and then I go out and try and do things he does on court. I run around doing tweeners on the court, um, it, whacking second serve aces and stuff. You know, I, I think he's just he makes you want to try things and enjoy it further. You don't even have to be a child. Like It, it, it excites you. Like. For, purely from a coaching point of view, I'll say this. One of the things I don't like which came about, I've seen it with a couple of players, is he tanks off points which is not great. But again, that's up to the player themselves. They don't have to do that because they've seen him doing it. And what he does in particular, which he's helped out by his serve because he can tank return games being pretty safe in the knowledge that he's going to hold serve. And I've seen mm. other play. I've seen players, juniors, when it gets to like 30 love down, they'll have a swing at a return Kyrgios style. And it's like, yeah, great, but your serve is 47 miles an hour. So <laughs> you're not nailed on winning this next game. <laughs> Okay, let, let's move on because I know Nick Kyrgios had a lot of column inches and he's technically now out of the Australian Open. Uh, something quite different, but that has also um, had a lot of uh, column inches and a lot of chat, especially today because Tim Henman's been talk- talking about angry people who turned good. Tim Henman got disqualified from the tournament for whacking a ball kid with a ball. So, you know, he's had the Roger Federer treatment in, in one very specific, in one specific and limited way. Um, but the one thing he's been talking about today is that he has... Confirmed a story that I uh, had last week, which is always nice when that happens, um, and you get no credit for it, uh, that the uh, All England Club are considering uh, abandoning line judges for this summer's tournament uh, in favour of the Hawkeye Live, the automatic line calling that's been in use in Australia. Um, I think they don't want to do it. Uh, Speaking to them last week, they were as neutral as they could be, but the feeling was that they would rather not and get rid of them, but obviously they're considering it because if it comes down to health and having fewer people on court, then it's a little bit of a no-brainer. Uh, it's been quite a mixed reaction in Australia. Uh, the, basically, there are two sides to the debate. There's the players who have been winning and the players who have been losing. <laughs> basically, if you ask a player who's just lost if they enjoyed the line calling, 
They say yes. <laughs> and if Gosford has won, they say yes. Uh, almost to a man and woman, quite frankly. Um, my favourite moment was someone asked Francis TFO about it after he had been, well, battered by Djokovic, uh, time violation at a really crucial moment in a really hot day uh, in his first ever match against Djokovic. And someone asked him, and he said, he, I don't often hear people do this, he excused himself for his language before swearing. He said, oh, excuse me for the language. It was fucking horrible. And it just really <laughs> made me laugh. Uh, yeah, he, he did not enjoy it one bit. Uh, plenty of other players talking about it and not liking it. Um, but yeah, like, like I said, literally the ones who won were like, yeah, you know, it's great. And, and also the ones who distract themselves by getting really angry at line judges. Um, I, I don't know, Calvin, what have you made of the, the automatic line calling? I'm sure you've got some sort of bee in your bonnet. <laughs> um, I I don't particularly. I'm not a big fan of it. I, I quite like the the human element, where whereby I mean, again, what would we have had John McEnroe if we'd have had um, if we'd have had automatic line calling by computer? Um, the main problem with it, of course, and I'm sure other people know this, is that not every tournament can have Hawkeye on every court, so you're going to mm. need some umpires. And the problem is, is that tournaments lower down, futures tournaments, challenges, that kind of thing, every umpire or line judge who is there, they don't make money from those tournaments. Their aim is to get to the bigger tournaments. And that's sort of why they're willing to invest in their career early on so they can hopefully get to those tournaments later. If there's no prospect of those getting to those tournaments, then you're not going to have as many officials at the lower ranks and then it's a question of who how are those tournaments going to run if you don't have officials and line judges other than people calling their own and uh, having seen enough matches in qualifying where you don't have line judges you don't want main draw official main draw tennis matches to have no one calling the lines i mean we could go we could go to my official my my favorite route which i've said before of no of players calling their own lines in slams which i'd love to see but still still strangely doesn't seem to be on the table no yeah i mean i i'm actually pretty much on the same page with calvin i think my main gripe is from an entertainment perspective tennis needs to keep as many human elements in it as possible i know the players hate you saying that but it's the truth, you know. The, you think about all the iconic moments. There have been. I'm not saying I want Djokovic to be hitting a line judge, but that was, you know, that was an iconic moment. I'm not saying I want Serena Williams to be running over to one saying, "I'm going to shove this ball down your throat," but that was an interesting moment. David <laughs> you know, David Nalbandian. I mean, that, that's David Nalbandian. You know, there's there's a lot of matches that have taken on kind of stratospheric levels because of these people um mm. the yeah the infrastructure of tennis is arguably more important than that you know it, I, I think i'm right in saying it's quite a good passage to be an umpire generally as well like testing them at higher levels yeah, presu- presumably that I, I assumed but i don't know calvin you'll be able to answer this i assume that most umpires start out as line judges yeah, yeah, uh, or referees, that kind of thing, um, tournament yeah. referees, although they're slightly different routes. But yeah, they, they all start out as line judges, and then there's different badge levels um, as mm. to what you can get and that kind of thing. But um, yeah, yeah, for that reason, I, I don't really want to see it. It will happen. I'm certain of it. It'll happen. It'll be, inter- it'll be interesting where it goes. I mean, like Craig Tiley 
his comments to Reuters on it were quite funny, where he said he was talking to a line judge friend of his, who I'm sure the friend wasn't delighted to hear this. His, his friend said to him, do I have a career anymore? He said, not as a line judge. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a great comment, but um, I, Wimbledon I, I, um... are very reluctant. I, I, I know this year's different, but Wimbledon genuinely are very reluctant and it will... Yeah take a significant shift in player power um, to move them. Well, for a start, I mean, they don't have Hawkeye on every court as it is, right? So you, they would have to, like, put Hawkeye on a whole other few courts. So that's a, that's a financial outlay. Um, there's also, Calvin, you pointed this out to me when we were chatting about it earlier in the week, that all the line judges wear Ralph Lauren. And yeah. they are very visible and very iconic. And I've no doubt that it's a great piece of exposure for Ralph Lauren and yeah. it's kind of what I imagine they call in the industry soft advertising. You know, it's it's kind of it's it's not in your face. It's not a big brand, but you know it's there. Um, yeah, and it's very easy for them to do. So I do imagine that they'll be pretty reluctant. Um, it's also was... part of the look, though, is it? It's part of the Wimbledon look as well that it wouldn't look the same without yeah. that there. Um... <clears throat> I mean, my my kind of I've seen lots of chats about it because because I did the story early. Um, I've sort of read quite a lot and seen a lot of the reaction. And the one kind of thing I can compare it to is if you've seen pictures of old athletics events where on the line, on the finish line, they have like eight blokes all leaning in, dovetailed, you know, <laughs> to decide who the winner is. And that's, that's basically what we're talking You know, that, that does not happen now um, at any decent level of athletics event. It, it's done by computer technology. And people are saying, oh, but there's, you know, the, the other jobs will open up. This is how economies evolve. I haven't seen those jobs open up in athletics. There are far fewer people employed or involved in athletics as a result of that thing. And yes, it's better. And obviously at professional level, it's better. But, you know, what's the? I'd like to see the percentages of line judges getting stuff wrong. I, th- I think they're pretty yeah. good. And, yeah. and I don't know what percentage point you're approving on there. Gilles Simon's comments were probably as interesting as anyone's, actually. Gilles Simon, just just after he'd been bounced out of the tournament for six games. Yes, but he was quite thoughtful, actually, like (laughs) quite surprisingly. Um, You know, there was stuff he he was saying a little bit about umpires' levels of concentration now line judges weren't there. He was saying they'd almost been... It was actually... Sorry, not line judges, chair umpires had kind of started relaxing a bit and not necessarily being as engaged and active as they were he said he personally f- missed the idea of challenging like the kind of the three hawkeye challenges i know a lot of people say that's about the game the, the only person i'd say has made the technology worth watching was curious again wasn't it because he was going after the let cords a lot you know that that yeah. was <laughs> that was a story. I mean, that's that was a separate issue. Running. That's an entirely separate issue. It is, so. is a separate. But I'm just saying, in terms of rowing with technology, like a few people I've seen say to the umpire, "Show me the replay." You just think, "What's the point?" Yeah, <laughs> it's, well, it's, it's, just for, it's just for a break, isn't it? It's just yeah, it's just for yeah. A break. They're just using it to buy. But you know, there is a bit of excitement when they have a line judge call and they make a challenge or an umpire's overruled. You know, that that does add an extra little element. They clap and make that noise don't they in france you know, when it's yeah. all going yeah on. yeah no, you know, I, I think it's definitely got some drama sorry calvin you're gonna say something uh, yeah i think that sort of leads in where i was gonna say it's it's the one sport that currently tennis is the one sport normally that is currently using it right and that it works for perfectly the technology as yeah. we've seen it's a mess in football doesn't work at all in football 
Um, cricket, it kind of does work, although I was watching it earlier today and it's, there's so many confusions about the rules. I think it was Joe Root, you'd have watched it, James, where no yeah. one can understand why he wasn't out because they then show the replay and he's clearly out, but because I mean, the so umpire... There's kind of a unique situation going on there because, like, you're not allowed overseas umpires at the moment. And India have got quite a green group of umpires. So, like, they're just not very experienced. And I think in the last test match, they had the the two standing umpires, i.e. the people on field, um, were, like, in their first and fifth test matches. And, you know, so I think there's an element of inexperience. It generally works in cricket, but you're absolutely right. It works in tennis better than anywhere else. Yeah, and I'm sort of specifically saying in cricket, it's this sort of vagueness about how the umpire it it, it can the 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 sort of ball tracking can say that it was hitting the wicket, but it's still not out in the certain yeah. circumstance, that kind of thing. Whereas tennis is so black and white, and I don't see why we'd go more for it. It's like it works it works really well. You've got you've also got the somebody said it on commentary, I think as well. You've got the visual element of a line judge, not just the not just the sound of out. Um, I've written it down. Think, yeah, and I think I'm that you know exactly it's that, yeah. it, we use the technology better than any other sport. Like, why why bother tinkering with it? It, it works mm. well at the minute. They de- they definitely need to introduce some sort of visual element because even some of the commentators were like, "Oh, it's out." Yeah. Oh, it's not because because the speakers aren't. It's not really clear. It's not yeah. very clear. Like, it's not always quite immediate. It can sometimes just sound like a player barking. Like, yeah, well, that's the thing because it it often comes about two seconds, about a second and a half later, which is around yeah. the same time as a player will get the pump out, and so yeah. it just gets drowned out by that as well. So you, you don't know, but yeah, I, I, just no need to change it. Keep it as it is. Mm. Yeah, it's solving a problem that that doesn't really exist, isn't yeah. it? And you know, a shame really uh, for for all those people who could be involved in tennis tournaments, and that's probably a good thing. Uh, let's move on, um, because we've got to talk about abdominal injuries, um, of which I have misdiagnosed a number over the last couple of weeks, um, because Joe Conter, I tried to claim, had a uh, hip problem, uh, and uh, <laughs> Novak Djokovic, I tried to claim, had a hip problem, although I wasn't the only one who said he had a hip problem, in fairness. Uh, both turned out to have abdominal injuries to a greater or lesser extent, uh, Joe Conter, of course, had to retire in the first round against Kaya Yuvan. Novak Djokovic, of course, had to not retire and was probably actually just fine, but neither here nor there. Um, the Rude, Alexander Zverev, Matteo Berrettini, Pablo Carreño Busta, Roberto Batista Agu, Yuichi Sugita, Tennis Sangren, possibly. Um, there's a whole number of players who seem to be suffering to a greater or lesser extent um, from abdominal injuries. Uh, George did a, a nice bit of um, mini deep dive on retirements and withdrawals. It, it seems like there are no more uh, retirements or withdrawals this year at the Australian Open than there have been in previous years. If anything, the numbers are slightly lower, I would suggest. Um, so, George, is this uh, uh, just a sort of weird coincidence, do we think? Uh, I just like to say that I did definitely did not do that research. That was just sent to me. <laughs> I, I could take the credit there, but I, I definitely did not do that. So, would you like to credit someone who did? No, but they they did it and they sent it to me. So. Right. Um, no, I just came from the tournament to be fair. But someone else had asked rather than me. Yeah. I wasn't really on it, but I thought you guys would be interested, and you were. Very much so. Um, so. Yeah, abdominal injuries. There's been a few different theories kicking around. Um, one's a little bit linked to what I wrote before the tournament 
um, with Murray's coach, Matt Little, um, about some people are trying to claim this is a result of the serve being less well used during quarantine. Um, Obviously, I don't know, there's going to be different points of view and questions on this because obviously some of these players we're talking about, if not most of them, weren't in that hard quarantine, I would say. And I know that Mm -hmm. definitely wasn't. Um, But still, I I think there is a suggestion that that, that's a big reason into it. Another one that was kind of suggested that I thought was quite interesting was that players had stopped doing like quite big, long sprints and stretches back in their training. So they'd kind of been not put into any sort of match situation for a few weeks and had lost that kind of ability to sprint at full pelt um, and react to match situation. You know, we were talking about like having that mm. final 10%. Um, but yeah, I, I don't have anything concrete. It, it's just been a abnormally high number of abdominal injuries. Yeah, I mean, I've never had an abdominal injury, so I don't really even... I mean, I've never had an abdomen, really. Um, not, not to speak of. Um, you know, it's just a sort of small barrel that balances between my hip bones. Um, I, I, so I don't really even know how you go about managing to get one. So you're twisting, clearly. But... Uh, yeah, I, I've had a little bit... I've had a problem everywhere before, as you can probably tell. I'm yeah, yeah made, of made of glass. glass. Um but I have it, had it before in my left side, actually, which probably wouldn't lend itself to the serving so much. I, I'd be interested to know how many of these injuries are on the... Actually, it could lend itself to the left. Yeah, I suppose so. But I, I've also damaged the right from kind of pushing up that way. Okay, um, we get it. You're injured a lot. But anyway, the, it, it is a, a weird thing. And I think the thing with Novak, particularly on this point, was him claiming initially he had a tear. And I, I know I've had a lot of people in my mentions saying he never claimed he had a tear. He's, I've read the transcript he, he, a thousand he times. He literally said, he said it. I definitely have a tear. <laughs> I don't know how clear you want him to bloody make it. But anyway, um, you know, the, the idea he'd torn a muscle. Okay, he might have been able to get through the fifth, but then to come back two days later, I don't know what number of painkillers you're taking. I, I don't believe that's a tear. And the fact he then got a bit weird about it and said... You know, I can't. I know the diagnosis, but I don't want you to speculate about it, so I'm not going to tell you. That's the opposite. Yeah. Of don't think he don't think he knows how to kill speculation. There. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it is interesting. I mean, I, I would say that I'd imagine a mild pull is pretty manageable in terms of if you get the right tape. Nadal was pretty clear on this today. Actually, he had quite a long answer on injuries, where he was saying, "Look." If you are very, very injured, it's impossible to win a Grand Slam. It's impossible. That's not going to happen. Like, it will just get worse and worse. You can try, but it will get to the point where it's you're not going to be able to do it. Mm. If you have, you know, every player has niggles, every player has a problem. And his uncle, Uncle Tony, I don't know if you've read this today in El Page, he's basically said that Djokovic exaggerates the smaller things more than other players, and that other players are kind of dealing with these small things all the time and Djokovic just takes it to a new level. So, you know, that was food for thought, but I mean, it's interesting. Kind of, it's, a, it's a psychological thing, isn't it? it? Some players thrive off that sort of underdog worlds against me kind of thing. I, I think, you know, that Djokovic, I think we can all agree, plays that game with himself. You know, 
That's how he fires himself up, the belief that the whole world is against him. We see it in every sport. You know, Jose Mourinho is one who does it. Patrick Reed is another. You know, loads of different sports people use this kind of technique. and We talk about it quite a lot. And I think that's what Djokovic does with, with the injury thing. Yeah, I mean, you could aim the same thing at Nadal, couldn't you, this tournament? I mean, he'd come in saying, for 14 Massive. days, I've got this back problem. And to be fair, Nadal hasn't come out and said, I've got a torn back. He's not said that. He said he had a small issue that was nothing serious, but it was getting worse. And then after the, it was after the Norrie match, wasn't it? He suddenly said, oh, yeah, it's fixed now. That's good. <laughs> um, you know, it says, you know I, I, I don't want to just single Novak out for it. I just do find it quite hilarious that two days ago he's come off court saying he's definitely got a tear. And then two days after he's turned around and said, I shouldn't have to disclose my medical information. All right, we'll do it all the time then. Don't just start saying you've got the most extreme thing and then just jumping into your tortoise shell. Yeah, I think as well, yeah, I think we said in our sort of WhatsApp group the other day that Federer, you've got to hand it to Federer in this one in that when he's injured, you don't know about it, that it, something might come out after, but he doesn't, he doesn't keep getting the trainer on and be moaning about it before the match and, Djokovic, Nadal and Murray they do tend to sort of let everyone know that they're injured when, when that happens um, but well, I, mean, I, I think Murray's injured even when he's not to be fair because he just well, looks yeah. injured <laughs> <laughs> um, coming back to what George said there like, there's this idea again in, that Djokovic is like he, he might be really badly injured but his, his desire has got him through it which is just the biggest load of tonk you can imagine because like <laughs> as, as George said there like if you've got a tear it's not even a case of playing through the pain you just can't play there's no mm. if, if your abs in two pieces right <laughs> you can't serve that kind of thing it's like it's like if you've got a torn hamstring it's not just the pain it's like there's no tension in the muscle to make you run so yeah. you can't do it it's uh, it's just a nonsense to think that he's got this terrible he might have a minor injury and it's painful, and he's playing through it. But there's not a chance that he's got a major injury and his desire is getting him through the tournament at the latter <laughs> stages of a slam. Did he just stop wanting to win in the third and fourth set against Taylor well, Fritz? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, There's not, not much desire in those sets, was there? Um, <laughs> yeah. but, uh... I, I would say to the point about the Taylor Fritz match, I say this from a very non-professional perspective, but you know there are times where you... You think when you're playing sport, oh bugger, I've done something there, and you can you can play through it, and then it comes out after, and you kind yeah. of think, oh, I'm in serious trouble here. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to play on the next day or two days when you've got something else. But even in those situations, I would say when I've felt like that, I've still not played for two weeks or something when I thought yeah. it might be six weeks. You know, it, it, you'd think he knows his own body well enough for it to have known it, it just seems very odd to me that he's made a two-day recovery from what he was saying but anyway yeah. we shouldn't shouldn't labor the point too much i suppose us will no. be attacked by crocodiles no, yeah um yes the crocodiles are out in force this week no, no doubt about that don't worry guys you'll be okay you'll get through this difficult time for he'll doubt. probably win the tournament and it'll be fine won't it so what's the issue? <laughs> i mean i think he's still favorite i don't think i don't think anyone's doubting that um one one person we were all hoping, or at least thought, might might be a real challenge, and specifically for Novak was was Dominic Team. Uh, he just went out of the tournament in the least spectacular fashion possible. He's beaten in straight sets by Grigor Dimitrov. Um, credit to him, he, he didn't. I don't think he did. He have a medical timeout during that match. I'm not convinced that he did. 
Um, but certainly Grigor seemed to think that he was injured, which I always think is awkward if you go into a press conference and you're like, well, clearly he was injured. And the guy's like, I wasn't. I'm like, oh, you're that bad. <laughs> um, but, but I think uh, team did admit that he had a foot problem, so, something that um, he experienced, I think, at the US Open uh, last year. Uh, it's starting to become a little bit... I always get worried when a player has a sort of minor problem at one tournament, and then six months later they have the same minor problem, but it's a bit less minor because it suggests that there's something going on here. George, is that a reasonable way to assess it? Yeah, I mean, it's a funny one with team. I, I don't really know how many conclusions to draw to the, draw from this. I mean, if you think about his previous round where he beat Kyrgios, he basically came out and admitted, had I been broken at the start of that third set, I was definitely losing that match. And, yeah. you know... I think when you watch that Dimitrov match at the same point where he got broken in that third set, he then was bageled. Um, mm. So, you know, I, I'm not I'm not saying the injuries not played a massive factor, but I'm pretty sure you can draw from that that there was just a bit of a switching off from the end. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's clearly not such a huge issue that it stops him winning the US Open that time but if you, again if you look at the match he was complaining about it he won those admittedly very tight long sets with Medvedev but he won it in three didn't he it didn't become mm. a problem and the Zverev match was so random and weird that I don't really think you'd be bothered about feeling injured in that you're just trying to bottle it less than the other bloke aren't you really but, <laughs> um, yeah, you know it, it, it's, it's interesting I mean I, I think team made the valid point that he's not a machine after the match and these things do happen and they do crop up and it's probably quite a testament to the big three that okay Nadal's had the odd thing here and there but that's probably over exaggerated how injured actually Nadal's been I mean if you count the number of slams he's missed comparatively it's not as many as people like to make out you'd think he missed about a thousand judge from some of the ways people go on about it but um, you know they, they have by and large maintained a pretty good shell of fitness and not had to retire from too many matches um, particularly coming up to team's age it's a, it's massively disappointing though like just the way he played even throughout the tournament frankly um, he was someone he's now a Grand Slam champion you know, this this is what we've all been waiting for is someone to win a Grand Slam who's not called Raphael Novak or Roger and finally we get it and and then, you know, I can't even think what happened to the French, but, you know, he, he turned up to the hard court slam, same surface, you know, as, as he won in the US on. And he's, he frankly played awfully. You know, yeah. there wasn't a lot of good tennis going on. Um, again, I mean, I said earlier during the tournament that if the court speed was as fast as people were playing, and he's probably the player who benefits least from that. So I don't think he was particularly comfortable at any point and I know we can ring the court speed clacks in there that have been worried. Sorry, but... just 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 on that, right? Like just as a vague as as the biggest layman in this group, Dominic <laughs> team Dominic team hits the ball really well and, and and you know hard. In theory, playing on a fast court should should make that harder to deal with. Calvin, can you explain why that's not true? Yeah, it's his swings. He's got huge swings and he can, if you've got big swings like that and you hit hard, then a slower court would suit you better because your ball's going to go through the court anyway because he hits so big. But he needs yeah. to be able to wind it up. So it's more the ball he's receiving 
that he can't set him quite set himself quite enough. Um, mm. As you'll find, a lot of players with big swings are the same. I see. He, okay. And it took him a while to adapt to hard courts, which is kind of a weird thing to say. Yeah. Like he, because the hard court, you know, it still bounces pretty high, which suits him um, mm. comparatively. Anyway, but you know, I think it was also a bit of a shame, isn't it, that he's had this massive match with Kyrgios coming in against Dimitrov. Dimitrov playing pretty well. I would say, but not like... It's hard to know how well Dimitrov's playing. I mean, it, it's a shame we didn't get Kyrgios Dimitrov in the end, isn't it, really? I mean, that, that... I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think if he's played anyone decent. I mean, he had a walkover, effectively, against Karenia Booster. And yeah. he played... Oh, he played Chilich. Chilich, first, first round. Yeah. But Chilich is... You know, Done. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it might, be, it might be the sort of weakest run to a Grand Slam quarterfinal I've seen in a while. But not on, not on paper, is it? I mean, like... <laughs> Nadal's run to the um, to that U.S. Open he won without beating anyone in the top thirty in the entire tournament was. Um... That's it. I think you'll you'll struggle on paper to find a tougher draw than Dimitrov's, really. Like in on paper, and I'm not saying from what reality was, yeah. but you know, two Grand Slam champions. Was it Karina Buster the other one? Or... Karina Buster, yeah, yeah. You know, that's a Grand Slam semi final. I mean, that's a pretty tough opening four rounds isn't it really yeah can i point out one tougher draw and this is one of those things that will will age terribly as well but if serena williams wins this australian open i think it's going to have to be what if things go to the form book potentially like her greatest grand slam because she will have beaten arena sabalenka world number seven and like one of the form players of the world over the last three months don't talk to me about that match i'm still gutted james that that was my last hope i know i know but i'm right there with you i had her as well Simona Hallett, world number two, obviously, and striking it pure. Naomi Osaka, and then probably Ash Barty. She will have beaten 3-2-1 or 2-3-1 in the world to win the Australian Open. I don't know, I don't know if she can do it, but if she has, you know, if she does, it'll, it'll be an unbelievable uh, achievement. So, just, just saying, you know, good players don't always get good draws. Um, I, I know we're short on time, but I think if there's anything left on the list that we do want to talk about, it probably is the Brits... Um, because Andy Murray has been out in Italy uh, playing a challenger there, and he got to the final um, and subsequently lost. I actually can't even... Yeah, he did lose in the final, didn't he? Did, Ilya was Marchenko. A, was there a bagel involved? No, four and two. Two and four. Two and four. Okay, fine. Um, Calvin, <laughs> I know you watched quite a lot of it on a, on a dodgy ATP stream. Um, he, from what you said, he, he was moving fine but not playing brilliantly. Yeah, he was. Um, it's sort of strange, really. It reminded me a lot of um, the very young Murray when he first came into challenges, but with a bigger serve. In that he was basically just stood at sort of eight foot behind the baseline, chasing, um, doing a lot of slices, and he was winning most of his matches just because he's just miles better than anyone else in that draw. Um, it was it was great that he got the matches, and he was definitely well into it. He was losing his rag with the umpire and that he got a stink, stinking call on one of the one of the matches, I think in his semi maybe, semi or quarter. Um but it was it's difficult to tell because the, the, the angle of the court wasn't great either. But um it it was great he got matches. He's gonna have to be a lot better if he's gonna be winning matches in main tour events, I would say. Yeah, I mean, just for for people who aren't you know familiar necessarily with with that level, um, he 
I mean, he didn't play anyone inside the top 100, I think. No, so he said he wouldn't play anyone inside the top 100 because no one's in yeah. the continent. Um, and he dropped a set in the first round and then, yeah, as I say, lost lost in the final. But he got five tennis matches in, which is, frankly, five more than he would have got if he'd gone to Australia, I suggest. Uh, so I know he was absolutely fuming about not going, but maybe in practical terms it was uh, maybe just a slightly better thing. Um, George... A good week for Murray, and, and then he's off to France uh, on Sunday, I think, for the Open Sud de France. Yeah, so Montpellier, as most people normally call it, just for convenience. Well, I mean, that's the name of the tournament, excuse me for being correct. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's, I think, a good base level for Murray. You know, I think you looked at him play a week of matches last was the European Open. Um, where he beat Vavrinka in the final, but he struggled physically for weeks after that, and that eventually led to the Davis Cup withdrawal that then sort of missed the Australian Open, and then run into COVID, so meaning he didn't play for about ten months. So, you know, it, it's, imp- it's I I I said it once he was out of Australia that he'd probably go for a challenger and get a few matches under his belt under slightly less physical strain than he would have been if he was playing high-level people. Now he'll probably take this week off, I imagine, and then go there. I, I, don't, I haven't seen the exact field for Montpellier, but I imagine it's not that strong, would be uh, my guess. I can guess. tell you that uh, Hugo Umbert is playing, um, Hubert Urkash, nothing that's easy for me to say, Filip Krenovic, <laughs> Uzan Leovic, Roberto Bautista Agut is the top seed, um, uh, there's one other French player. It's not Monfils, obviously. I can't remember who it is. But yeah, I mean, it's not... I'll tell you what, I don't know about the full field because I haven't seen the entry list, but it, the seeds are decent. Like, if he wants to win it, he's going to have to play some decent players. Yeah, he'll play decent players, but not like anyone who I'd say Murray can't go and beat in a match. You know what I mean? He's, like, not, gonna play not... Anyone who, he's not going to play anyone who Zverev can beat, can't beat in a Grand Slam. Yeah. Put it that way. <laughs> I, yeah, I think... And, and I think this is the the thing with Murray. Like in tennis, it's so hard to get that progressional step up for what you need, particularly when you can get the wild cards. He can, like, you know, you ideally want to be playing a week against weaker players. Tashi Body can do it. Then you want to step up, play a week against players who, all right, back in the day, Murray would turn up to this tournament and just walk it. You know, but now the level he is probably going to be quite similar. I mean, would you say Murray's when you've seen him play well, his ranking's probably still maximum 30 now at the minute, I would say. Like, mm. after the injuries, like, you're capable of beating good. someone better, but probably even below lower that. Than that. Lower than yeah. that, I would think. Um, yeah, but I think I'm he's... thinking about the very best yeah. he's played. I mean, like, yeah. beating Vavrinka oh, that was kind of high. I mean, I mean, last year, I mean, last year he, he didn't look, he, you know, apart from the match oh, yeah. he's Zverev, <clears throat> he was 100 at best, you know, 100 to 80 yeah, easily. at best. Um, so you know I, I think if he can go to this tournament beat guys I, I doubt there's going to be too many probably well there's going to be no top 10 players you know that's another kind of level to tick off he could get a bad draw and get a humber in the first mat round which would be pretty tricky but I, I think I'm not saying he's going to win this tournament but I think if he can get another three matches push it pretty close I think that would be good progress for him to then move on to tougher tournaments 
just to correct myself, Philip Kronovich <coughs> has withdrawn um, in the last couple of hours. So, Yiri Vesely is in. Um, I mean, so, the, I'm just looking at the replacements. Marcus, G- I can't say this guy's name, the American lad. Giron? Giron. Huh? Yeah, I think that was right. Okay. Um, <coughs> he's world number 79, and he's just got in as an alternate, I think, which would suggest it's quite a strong field. Um, so, yeah, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to do the maths, but I can't, um, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's, I mean, like you said, George, I don't think, I'm less optimistic, I don't think you'll get three matches. I think, like, there's quite a lot of players who are going to be in there that will be bad first round draws for him, and I think he will do well to get into the second round at the moment. Especially, like, it's just about recovery time at this point. Like, I don't, you know, we, you talked about what that European Open run did to him. Like, what's his recovery time like now? I, I don't want to be too pessimistic because, you know, it's not like I'm in camp with him every day. But I, I, I'm just starting to get a feeling where it's like he's going to make sure he plays Wimbledon this summer. And that's the only thing I'm certain of. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, the noises, it's so hard to say when you're not in there every day, but the, the noises have been pretty positive. He's been pretty certain he's had the best block he's had since all this started in terms of fitness, in terms of going. So, I, you know, I'm not going to draw conclusions on what this guy's body's like until I've seen it this time around. I would say if if there's another problem before the French Open, let's say, then I would start agreeing with you. But at the minute, I would say he's a bit rusty in terms of competitive tennis. Still reaching a final of a challenger, that's fine. Now, has he? can he shake off that rust, put a few things right in practice this week, take it to this level, win? I think, I honestly think the worst draw he can get there, he still should beat in a one-off match. I don't see him going out in the first round. I think he probably will get a bit tired in the third round and play a decent level opponent. But I, I would back him to win three matches in there. I, th- I think um, what I will say about Murray, having watched him last week and little things that I hear, and I guess it's, you know, it's, it's hearsay, but I, d- I don't think he's in pain anymore. Like a lot of the time when he, when he first came back and he was playing, he looked like he was still in pain, but playing through it. There was not much grimacing or anything like that, more than what he usually does. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think, more than the usual. I, horrible yeah, horrible. yeah, I think it's just now a case whether he he's got the legs for it, and I don't know one way or another on that whether he can train enough to do that. Because if he's going to play the way that has brought him success in the past, then he still seems pretty intent. He still looked like that's the way he wants to play last week. He's going to have to. We don't know whether he can do that. Sorry, and one way or another. The, there's always a quote I remember used on Kyrgios about this from Leighton Hewitt um, from I think the 2019 Australian Open and he was saying and I think he was talking about Tomic as well he was saying like the reason I'm picking these other Aussies is because they've got years of match fitness kind of behind them like he was talking about yeah. the actual match fitness side being such a hard thing to recover I'm sure yeah. that's a bit of hyperbole it being an entire year two years but when I'm watching Murray at the moment I don't doubt he's fit but I don't think he looks so perfectly match ready yeah if that makes kind of sense i think i think that will take time and this is kind of the thing i'm saying about him 
if he's avoiding these injuries now and gets a good three-month block of tennis, and by the end of that isn't beating, you know, I'd say like two out of three top 30 players who aren't in the top 10, so 10 to 30, then then I'd be a bit more worried. But at the minute, I've seen enough from him, even when he's not playing that well, to challenge very high-ranked players then he's struggling physically if he just gets a block I, I still think there's enough in there and perhaps that's just silly optimistic rose tinted glasses because we all want him to come back but the noises are good at the minute and I just think if he can swerve any sort of injury get this block then he'll um, have a decent chance not to win Grand Slams again I wouldn't have thought but to win some little tournaments I think he can definitely do that little that sounds very patronising but ATP 500s ATP 250s who knows even a Masters I mean is that is that enough for him like, I, I think that... so I, I do think so like it sounds so funny to say because like I, I, you know I, I, what is enough but you watch him in these challenges I mean he, he bloody up. loves this sport he's up for it he doesn't care well, I, like, I, he's I up for it doing... I'll tell you who I'm thinking of is Leighton Hewitt. I thought you just mentioned him. But, you know, he played for so long with, I think, with the same hip, um, like, surgery. And, you know, he wasn't really competitive anywhere near the level he had been. But he was still playing just because he blooming loved it. Um, and I, I wonder if we might get some of that. I mean, I remember when Peyton Manning was, like, at the end of his career, the, the famous quarterback. And he had neck surgery and he went to Denver and... Colin Cowherd, who, who's a famous and hyperbolic sports broadcaster, said someone needs to save Peyton Manning from himself and, and tell him to retire. And, you know, I go back to that quite emotional Instagram post by Andy with the picture of him as a kid uh, where he said, I just, I just bloody love tennis. Like, and I suppose uh, there, there will come a point when a doctor says to him, if you keep doing this, like, you're not going to be able to play mixed doubles with your 10-year-old. Like, you know, you're not going to be able to do whatever. And I think when it gets to that point, I guess it's an easier decision. But maybe until he's there, he'll crack on. And I'd say, like, there's no benefit to what he's had. But what he has had the chance to see is he's had, to, he's had the chance to see his life in eight years' time, in a way. Like, he's mm. had the chance to see what retirement's like and how much you have. And it. It's obviously a shame he's lost all these years in his pomp, but he's still seeing Federer kick around at 40, still seeing Novak challenge for slams at the same age. You know, the age barrier is not there as long as the hip's fine. And it does seem to be the case that he's strengthened up and a lot better physically and not having these knock-on early effects that are coming from that. Um, But yeah, look, you're right. I mean, this is... The next few months are pretty defining for him, I think. I, I, I think if there's another setback, that would completely change my view. But I, I, I feel confident for him going into Montpellier. I do. Like, I don't think he's going to win the tournament. I'm not saying that. But I feel, from what I've heard about it, I think he's in the best place he has been for a long time, even though he's just lost to the world number, whatever he is. You know, I, I, think, I think there's a reason for cautious, cautious, cautious optimism. Well, that's, it's extreme caution from George Belshaw, which is, you never get anything less. With <laughs> that's um, about as hard as I go, that. <laughs> uh, we're going to have to move on to any other business, and it's going to have to be 
very short. If there's anything on your list or on your agenda or on your chest that you want to get off in the last five minutes, then please do so now. George, you've usually got something to say. I do always have something to say. One fantastic women's draw. Brilliant yeah, I feel, I feel absolutely Fabulous. We've almost, not, we've almost not talked about it except me. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, we, we just this is what happened. Yeah, there's a lot going on, but I and I'm sure uh, oh, I promise we will go into it next weekend when we've watched it next Monday. Um, but I, I did want to say that I think it's as interesting. I, I love the. I think the lineups are consistently brilliant. Late. I think next but, week might have to be a WTA pod because yeah, they're so, <laughs> quite frankly. Um, and, then, and then the the only other thing I have mild interest in doing is just saying. Um, are you still sticking with the predictions you had at the start? Is there uh, yeah, any cause, cause revision? Yeah, because I looked at this earlier, and amazingly, we're all still alive. Yeah, you know, I can't say that's been the case every. Are we, are, are we all still alive from our year predictions as well? Yeah, 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 yeah. So Who... the Australian Open, we all picked Djokovic. Um, yeah, shock. Uh, yeah, <laughs> which is not shock, not shock at all. Uh, George, you picked Simona Halep. Uh, yeah. I had Barty. Uh, and Calvin's got Naomi Osaka, so I think yeah. I think I'm in the box seat there. I mean, because Ash got got a dream draw. But I, I I've covered two because I moved to Osaka for our prediction game <laughs> because I didn't trust yeah. Halep coming into it. So I'm very naughty. But um, I might move here. I quite fancy Medvedev to win it from here. I I I was so close to picking him in our fantasy thing over Djokovic. I think it's so mm-hmm. close between the two of them. Um, yeah. And now I'm, I am really leaning to him. He'll probably. I, I worry for him most against Rublev. I don't know why he beats Rublev all the time. Yeah, Rublev. I, I don't know why seen... that's in my head. But Rublev doesn't win matches against top eight players. We know he doesn't. He doesn't. Have, and have he's Medvedev have particularly. Seen, have you seen the quote from? I actually can't remember which one of them it was from. About when they used to play when they were kids, and it would be like. 10 minutes of moonballing each other followed by 5 minutes of crying and racket throwing <laughs> and then they'd play another point <laughs> I mean it must be Medvedev because the kind of weird stuff you say but it was it was re- it's a really funny quote I'll have to dig it out and post it on Twitter because it was a hilarious quote um, yeah, uh, I mean, just that... a quick yeah, sorry James um, yeah, we'll, we'll come back to that just before we go um, a note that Liam Brody made the final of the challenge yes. last week as that well. was on our list as well um, yeah, uh, to, to how good a result is that for him? Where does it kind of leave him for this season? Uh, look, the, 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 at that level, it's a straight, it's strange sort of career at that level in that you only you can have pretty much forty five terrible weeks and have three or four good weeks at Challenger, and it will be it will look like a great year at the end of it. So he's banked one really good week at the start of the year, so mm. another three or four of those. And he's probably knocking on the door of the top 100. I'd say. And he had to remember he had to come um, through qualifying. So you know he he won he, six matches together. He only came through qualifying because he didn't enter it though. He would have been seeded right. in the main draw, but you don't get seeded if you qualify in a challenger. So mm. he would have, I think. Well, this week he's seeded four, and I think it's pretty much the same entries as it was last time. So. Yeah, uh, but still, nonetheless, um, yeah, really good result. Um, he's been playing well for the last six, seven months, really. Yeah, and he's, he's so he's up to he's going to go up just outside the top one fifty, which is as high as he's been in his career. Um, so yeah. you know, he's he's kind of knocking on the door of a career high. And he's British number five at the moment, I think. But uh, we'll be uh, catching up with a young lad called Andy 
Murray, uh, who's the current British number four. Um, thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for joining me, George and Calvin. Uh, if you're not already following us on Twitter at Love Tennis Pod, then please do. Um, if you're listening on the podcast, then please leave us a rating or a review uh, if you've made it this far. I know it's been a long slog. Uh, and we'll be back next Monday. Uh, please do join us live if you'd like to on Locker Room. Download the Locker Room app in the App Store. Um, otherwise, you'll get your podcast everywhere you normally get your podcast next week. See you next week, guys. Bye-bye. Sports Social Podcast Network.